David Lugum. Well, here we go. What is this? The 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Homily Prep Podcast. Homily Prep Podcast. Did you get to preach this past weekend? I did preach this past weekend, and I used... So here's a thing that my pastor has been talking about for a little while. We're a Jesuit parish, obviously. And he has been wondering, and I've started to wonder as well, how to how to engage more Ignatian spirituality with the parish just at large. Mm-hmm. Like how do we how do we kind of build this vocabulary so that we can be people that know about Ignatian stuffs? So right. I took that opportunity to preach on the three degrees of humility. Oh, cool. Um, and I thought it went pretty well. It, nice. You know, because it's it's hard. I don't want it to become just a lecture. That's not proclaiming the good news. <laughs> right, um, right. And so I, I'd i like to think that I did a good job in kind of saying, look, this is, um, this is a process. This is where we are. This is why all of our readings for that Sunday were going on about humility, because right. this is something that we need to do. And look, we're going to fail. Like, we're not going to always be the humblest around. And that's okay. Hmm. Yeah, that part of it is that humility is a goal. Like, yeah. it's a process to become more humble. Yeah, not. and I, I kind of ended with, you know, are we willing to be strong enough to say when, we, uh, when we've done wrong or when we've failed or when we've, you know, humility is about being strong. Mm. Because it's so much easier just to pretend nothing bad happened. Hmm. Yeah, so it takes strength to admit that you need help. It takes strength to admit your weakness. Yep, um, yep. It takes strength to, you know, ask God to intervene in your life like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, that's good. We didn't really talk much about humility in the homily I was in because um, we were on a community uh, sort of days of retreat. And oh. it was more about sort of ticking up all the different things we talked about as a community to begin uh-huh. the year. So that kind of became the... Yeah, that's um, okay. There was some relationship to the gospel, but I can't remember now. It was clearly not essential. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I appreciate that you took an opportunity to preach about the degrees of humility. I, I had not thought about that last week, about how to bring uh, how to bring in Ignatius spirituality. I like that. Um, yeah, good. How about uh, this week? What uh, what do you got on the on the platter for this week? Well, <clears throat> I think this is a classic, and again, this is the problem I always face when we've got so when we've got such kind of classic. Um, well-known verses, whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, kind of a thing from the gospel. I don't want to, I, I fear kind of falling into cliche and just kind of saying the same thing that everybody's already heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still kind of struggling with this. I'm not quite sure which which direction I want to go. I mean, obviously I want to um, really emphasize that we do need to take up take up the cross um, yeah yeah but what so, what angle i'm not quite sure sure well let me offer this to help because i think the the angle that i approached it at was much more general it seems like right now you're approaching it as that one verse that one little piece which is obviously key but me zooming out for a little bit maybe this will give you some context that you can fit into i i took so i generally found that the gospel was a very disjointed collection of sayings yeah, it was you know you got to hate your father and mother, which is scandalizing. <laughs> um, you got to take up your cross and come after me, 
or else you can't be my disciple. That's also scandalizing and confusing. Like these are strange and confusing sayings. You know, we're used to them. We grow numb to them. Um, and then he goes off on this tangent about building a tower and then a thing about a king and troops. It doesn't really clearly hang all together. And then he ends with, in the same way, any one of you who does not renounce his possessions. So now we're talking about possessions. So like, yeah, it's all kind of disjointed. So I kind of left the gospel for a second. I went to the first reading and I was really struck by something that kind of put the gospel into focus for me, that the first reading from the book of wisdom uh, speaks a lot about how we come to know the things of God. Mm. So who can know God's counsel or who can conceive what the Lord intends later on in the same reading? Scarce do we guess the thing, the things on earth, or do we ever know your counsel except you who had given wisdom and sent your Holy Spirit from on high? So take that reading and I think if you boil it down, mm. it's speaking about the wisdom of the Lord is something that we cannot fathom on our own, but it's oftentimes needs to be revealed to us by God himself because it's so contrary to the way that we would think. Right. Like these collections of sayings. Just like these collections of sayings. Yeah. 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 All right. So, so these extreme, extreme sayings, like the things that really don't make any sense, hating father and mother. Ah. Uh, Carrying your cross. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, and we don't, I mean, Jesus carried the cross. Jesus died for us. We don't, we don't do that <laughs> in that same way. Sure. But even remember, we yes, share. Mm -hmm. Well, remember St. Paul. St. Paul would say that even the cross of Christ is a scandal to Greeks. Right. You know, like right. there's something scandals about the cross. We become, you know, for better or for worse, we become very comfortable with the cross as a very familiar love symbol, which it is. But it's also something very scandalizing. And it's yeah. shocking, you know? Well, it's been transformed. Uh, mm -hmm. Just like we've been transformed. Mm -hmm. uh, death itself transformed into something, uh, well, reformed back into what it was originally, which is something mm -hmm. glorious that we get to literally go and meet the creator mm -hmm. of the universe. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's a helpful rubric, just thinking about, you know, how is it that earthly wisdom can kind of balk at some of these things? Um, Whereas God's revelation is something that often can be reversal of expectation. Um, yeah. You know, the the one part of the gospel, though, that I found a bit challenging, other than those difficult sayings, was the whole, the, the analogy doesn't make sense to me. So maybe you can clarify. So he makes this analogy between constructing a tower and then also about a, about a king who prudently avoids uh, going into needless battle. So... In both of those analogies, it's about prudence. It's which one of you would not prudently construct a tower by first calculating the cost? And then which one of you would not be prudent to not sacrifice all of your troops if you know it's your surety, surely to lose? But then the gospel ends with, in the same way, anyone who does not renounce their possessions cannot be my disciple. Hmm. What, what is this in the same way? I don't understand. Hmm. So, like, if I don't also... What like the the analogies are about prudence, like prudently construct a building, prudently take your soldiers in the battle. So yeah. is renouncing my possessions a prudent thing to do? Is that what well, that's saying? Well, it could be. I mean, you know the and it, so okay, take a step back, slow down. We're in Luke, and Luke has got a really interesting kind of theology of of wealth, um, just kind of spread throughout the throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Um, the best example is the rich official in Luke's gospel. He doesn't go away. 
Jesus speaks directly to him and says, for you, this is impossible. But for God, even a camel going through the eye of a needle is possible. Right. Um, and so there's not, and you know, we like to, we like to say, um, let's just renounce all possessions and live, you know, live a hobo life. Um, but that's not necessarily what is sometimes most prudent. You know, there are people that can use their money and their wealth and their possessions well. Mm. Yeah, uh, but, it's, but it seems like in this gospel, he's saying that the prudent thing to do is to renounce your possessions, right? Like, if any one of you who does not renounce your possessions cannot be my disciple. And I guess I'm yeah. just wondering, is that another one of these... Should we infer prudence, though, since the rest of it is about that? I think so. I think that there is... I mean, I'm trying to understand why he would put them next to each other and saying, in the same way. So that's what strikes me. It's in the same mm, way. Mm -hmm. In the same way as this king and in the same way as this builder, anyone who doesn't renounce his possessions cannot be my disciple. Which is almost like he's saying, in the same way, anyone who does not do this most prudent thing, which is the renouncing of your possessions, cannot be my disciple. Yeah. Which is just as scandalizing as to call that prudence to sure. give everything away. Sure. It's just as scandalizing as giving away your parents and giving away your own life. Sure. So it makes you wonder, you know, is the whole gospel about, first off, there's this overarching thing about the wisdom of God as a reversal of human understanding. Yeah. But then also there's a renunciation mm -hmm. of possessions. There's a renunciation of family and ultimately the renunciation of one's own life. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of wisdom is divine that in order to receive we must renounce ultimately everything yeah yeah you know one of the, something that keeps coming up as you're talking you know when i was a when i was teaching scripture to freshmen in high school i don't remember if i've said this on the podcast before but one of the things that i really liked to say to them and it's true is that if you're reading the gospel or any of the bible and it's leading you to hatred and violence then you're probably reading it wrongly like we fall into error with these with these sayings, um, and in the same way, I think you know if we're reading these things and it's teaching us something contrary to what we know of God, um, like Him asking us to hate our father and mother, then it might not be so much that Jesus is an error <laughs> or God is an error, but our understanding of that is limited, yeah. kind of like what the first reading is saying. Mm. Um, that there's something there and yet or just rather we're not really quite able to make heads or tails of it. Yeah. Well, look maybe at the that's last okay. Line. Look at the last line of the reading from Wisdom though, you know. It's thus, meaning by the Holy Spirit from on high yeah. that our paths on earth are made straight. Yeah. You know, so like the hum human understanding and human wisdom is a gift from God, and our intellect is important and is a right. huge gift. But ultimately, the wisdom of God is one of the cross, is one of denou denouncing even family ties if it means serving God, you know, yeah. and renouncing our worldly possessions. And, you know, there's the paradox here of the gospel that the paths of those who are following the Spirit are really the paths of those who are going on the straight way, the mm -hmm. straight and narrow, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I just take all of this as sort of like a summary statement of the gospel as the the genius of the gospel is one that it's a reversal, not a contradiction, but a reversal or a, a complementarity to human understanding that if you want to be saved, you're not going to be saved by human means. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's something that I, I was thinking about today. I didn't end up preaching on it this morning. We, our gospel was um, this uh, demoniac who proclaimed Christ, the most the most high of God, or whatever it was. Um, and he kept using the plural and referring to himself. Hmm. Uh, he, he doesn't have a personal identity. And, I th- you know, and you hear a lot about that. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's the thing that separates the demons from... Um, from humanity or from whatever that they have this understanding of of the I of me, hmm. and yet when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says "Our Father," mm-hmm. uh, and so I don't think it's entirely just getting rid of this common understanding, common knowledge. A lot like what this gospel is trying to challenge us to. It's not just our particular families. Uh, it's all of our families, but in a re, we're in a re understanding of, we're going back to the original understanding of what that family was. Oh yeah. Fall. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like in my own experience as a religious, you know, the, the, here it's phrased in terms of hate, but in other parts of the gospel, it's, you know, giving up father, mother, brother, sister, right. you know, we'll receive, we'll receive a hundredfold. And we've had mm-hmm. to do that as religious, you know, we've had to leave our families behind. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I have received a hundredfold in terms yep. of there are hundreds of moms from, <laughs> you know, our time teaching high school that consider me their son in a way, you know, now clearly not like my birth mother, like my actual mother, like, you know, the people who raised me. But there's something true about the gospel. There is that following Christ. There is a harvest there that I don't know. I've, I feel like, you know, we're both loved deeply by people who definitely, definitely. Who treated us like their children, you know? Yeah. But the, it's, yeah, I think, I think there's a, there's a sense of sanctification of those, of those things that's happening in this gospel. Like if we don't let Jesus come in and make them new creatures, make them, make it a new creation, a new, a new relationship, mm-hmm. um, then it will just be, you know, me trying to do my own thing separate from yeah. everybody else. Yeah. And making an idol out of your possessions right. or your own life or right. your family. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Well, good. So, God's wisdom, human wisdom. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, any other closing thoughts? Any other thoughts for today? Well, now I'm wondering about Ignatian spirituality. Do you think, um, and I don't want to, the last thing that I want to do is force the issue and try to make connections where they're not. But I'm wondering if there's, um, there's room to talk about the two standards. Hmm. Go for this it. Kind of choosing between, um, the standard of God and the standard of, of the devil, hmm. the good versus versus evil. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. That's I'm I just that just kind of popped into my head, and I'm not quite sure if it's possible to do that. But well, why don't you think about it? And if you end up preaching about it next Sunday, you can talk, tell us about it next week. Um, but I think generally, I mean, the way that I would maybe try to tether that in is to think about. You know, what is the standard of the cross and what is the standard of the world? And I think you're right. That does play in very clearly here is that sometimes we think the standard of the world is the standard by which we'll be saved. And the truth is that the only thing that will save us is the cross of Christ. Right. So. Cool. There it is. All right, man. Well, <laughs> until next week. All right. Talk to you later. All right, dude. Peace. See ya.